Well, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if it takes a thousand sleepless nights to know that he is near? Is it worth it all? You know, God wants to be near to us. God wanted to be so near to us that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sins, my sins, the sins of the entire world, so that he could have a relationship with us. And that way of, a, of salvation, that way of eternal life is available to anyone who will simply believe in him for it. You can have an eternal relationship with him by simply believing in him. And if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus Christ, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right where you're sitting, you can believe in him and he offers you as a gift everlasting life. But the truth is he wants more than just a relationship with you. He just wants, he wants to be in fellowship with us. He wants to be walking with us daily in our lives. And so sometimes he allows trials to come into our lives so that we will draw as close to him as he wants us to be. And so he desires for us to be close to him. So this morning we're going to see, because in this passage we see it doesn't say if trials come, but when trials come. And so if we know that trials are coming, then we need to understand some reasons why trials come. And we need to understand how we are to respond to the trials. So this morning, we're going to get an introduction in verse 1. Who wrote the book? Who's he writing to? Then we're going to see why trials come in verses 2 through 4. Then we're going to go back to verse 2 and go through verse 5 and see how do we respond to trials. And then finally, we're going to see that whenever we ask God for wisdom, we're to ask him in faith in those final verses. So if you want, look in your Bibles to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James says, A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. So the author of this book is James. Who is James? He's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But how does he describe himself? He's not worried about himself. It's not about my credentials or who I am. It's about God the Father. It's about Jesus Christ. And he sees himself as a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ because he realizes what he's done in this body is not about his own, but he is to glorify God in his body. And so he calls himself a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts them together equal. You see, he's a bondservant, but they are God and Jesus Christ. They are in control of all situations and everything that goes on in this world. And he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his full title. He is Lord. He is master. He is in control of all things. He is Jesus. And that's the name that he was given whenever he stepped foot on this earth. And he was given that name because then the first time that he came to this earth, he came to save his people. And that's what Jesus means. It means Savior. And then he is Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of Jesus Christ. He is the one that these Jewish believers were looking for, but yet they rejected him and they hung him on a cross. So he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at who he's writing to. He's writing to these 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. But why are they dispersed? This book was written shortly after Jesus' ascension back into heaven. And before Jesus left, he gave his disciples some marching orders. He said, it's not time for the kingdom now, but what I have for you to do is you are to be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem, right where you are in this, in this town, 
and in all Judea, so you're to spread out, and to Samaria up there to those people that you don't really care about, those people that you don't really like, those people that you despise, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. But you know what those disciples did? They were pretty comfortable being there in with their friends, being there with other disciples and other believers, being there where the church is. And you know what God allowed to happen? In Acts chapter 6, he allowed a trial to come upon a man named Stephen. And so Stephen was stoned to death. Standing for his faith, doing what was right, he still had to go through a trial. And he was put to death. And you know what? That by him being put to death, it caused the greater good. It caused God to work all things according to the counsel of his will, to work all things together for good because through his trial, through his death, it caused those disciples to spread out and other people to spread out. And what did they do whenever they left? They took the message with them, what God had told the disciples to do back in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 6, he caused it to happen through the trial. So we see that God works in the trials of life. He knows what's going on. He works all things together for good. God is working even in the trials of life today, not only in the life of those disciples, but in our lives today. So look on with me to verse two. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We'll come back to the joy in a few minutes. But first, let's look at what James calls them. He calls them brethren. Brethren, not because they were Jewish like him, but because they were believers in Jesus Christ. They had the same God, the same Father. They were in the same family. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They had the same purpose, the same goals, the same reasons. And so he says that they are brethren, they are believers. And look at what he tells these believers. He says, when you encounter various trials, not if, but when you encounter various trials, the trials will come. I think we can all attest to that. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. In, Paul, in Philippians, Paul writes, for it has been granted for you to suffer for his sake. You see, when you become a Christian, it's not about just being happy and living life. The prosperity gospel that many preach is not a biblical gospel. Trials come in the life of believers, and sometimes they come for the mere fact that we are believers in Jesus Christ. I think we see that more and more in the world that we're living in today. Standing for Jesus Christ is not the necessary thing or the ordinary thing that you should be doing. What the world does is what the world agrees with. And so we are going against the world and sometimes we come into trials because we are going against the world. So if not if the trials come, but when the trials come, and if we know the trials are coming, then we need to know why are they coming. Why do these trials come? And we're going to see a couple reasons that are in our passage this morning, but let's think about some other reasons. Sometimes people, unbelievers, go through trials so that they'll put their faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get, people get down on their luck. They get to the bottom of the barrel and they say, I have nowhere else to look. Maybe they're sitting in a prison cell and they only have a Gideon Bible and they open up that Bible. And what does that Bible tell them? That Jesus, God so loved the world, that includes them, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That they have hope, they have a home in heaven, they have so much more waiting for them. They have someone who loves them as terrible and bad as they are. 
Or maybe it's a friend or a family member that you have that you say, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. Man, how can you have hope? How can you have joy in the things that are going on in life? How can you have hope for my life? How can you say you're going to be praying for me? And they may ask you the question, you know, how, do we, how, do, how are you this way? And you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But what about for us as believers? Why do we go through trials? You know, one of the reasons is, is because we have, God has to discipline us for sin. I don't know if you know it or not, but whenever you become a Christian, you don't become perfect and sinless. I know that for sure. But sometimes, so God has to discipline us for the sin that we have in our lives. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child whom he receives. So sometimes we have to go through trials because we have sin in our lives. And what did I say earlier? God wants to be in fellowship with us. He can't be in fellowship with us if we are living our lives in sin. And so he disciplines us and he, and he allows us to go through trials so that we can be brought back in fellowship with him. We never lose our relationship. At the moment we believe in Christ, we have eternal life and no one can ever take that away from us. But we can get out of fellowship. And so he allows us to go through trials for that reason. And many times, whenever we have trials in our lives, people look at us and they say, yeah, well, you must have sin in your life. That's why you're going through the trials you're going through. It happened to Job. And even in John chapter 9, there was a man who was born blind. And they say, why was the man born blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, no. It's to display the glory of God. Sometimes we go through trials in life and there is no way, no how that we can get through it on our own and God performs a miracle and other people around us get to see it and we get to put on display the glory of God. It wasn't me that got me through this. It wasn't the doctors who did this to me. It was God, almighty God, and we need to give him the honor and glory for the things that he does. But there's another reason. Sometimes we go through trials just so we can help others who are going through similar trials or who will go through trials later in their lives. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. Purpose statement. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have received ourselves and are comforted by God. So sometimes we go through trials in life for the betterment of other people later on down the road. And then finally, we're going to see the two reasons that are given in our passage this morning. So that we will trust God and grow spiritually. Look on with me to verse 3. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He wants us to endure. Endurance is long-suffering, heavy under the load. Our faith is tested in the trials to see if we'll truly trust God. He wants us to trust God through the trials. As that song said, do we have faith to believe? Do we trust him to take us through it? Or do we try to circumvent? Saying, God, your way is not the best way. Your timing is not the best timing. Let me try to help you out. Let me, let me uh, circumvent your ways and try to do this on our own. This is not what God wants. He wants us to endure the trial. He wants us to learn the lesson he's trying to teach us. And we see in the next verse that he also wants us to grow spiritually. Look with me at verse four. He says, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect 
complete, lacking in nothing. He wants us to endure the trial so the perfect results can come. And sometimes the perfect results are in us and sometimes they are in others as well. So he wants to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He wants us to let the trial do what it's supposed to do. We're not to get impatient. We're not to try to take matters into our own hands. It has been said that problems are the price of progress, so don't shortchange the process. I'm all over the place. I don't know where I am. I think I went way ahead. See if somebody can help me find where I am. Problems are the price of progress, so don't shortchange the process. Be patient. Do you think you can't make it through whatever God is taking you through? You know, many times we, we feel that way. We feel like the problem that I'm going through right now, nobody can understand it. Nobody understands what it is that I'm going through. And this is so difficult. This is, this is beyond what anybody else has ever had to go through. And sometimes, if we just look around, we find someone else whose problem is bigger than ours. You know, you think about the life of Job. He lost everything. He lost his way to make a living. He lost all of his cattle. He lost his family. He lost his children. He lost everything that he had. But he didn't lose one thing. You know what he didn't lose? He didn't lose his faith. Listen to this. This is Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? He trusted God in the trials of life. He trusted him all the way to the end. And at the end of Job, in 42.10, it says that the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. You may think you've got a problem and a trial in your life, but you don't have the problem and the trial that Job had in his life. Ours do not compare to what he went through. Ours don't compare to what Jesus Christ went through for you and for me. No problem, no trial, no temptation is too big for God. Trust him to take you through whatever it is that he's taking you through. You see, God never gives us more than we can handle. Trust him and be patient. He will bring you through. But let me say this, and I think this is important. It doesn't always mean that your circumstances are going to change. It doesn't always mean that your circumstances are going to change. Sometimes the only thing that he is working on change in is change in you. And so we have to trust God in the trials of life. Think about the stoning of Stephen. Do you think that's what Stephen was praying for? Was for him to be stoned to death? Do you think that's what his family was was praying for? No, that's not what he was praying for. He was praying that God's will be done. And he was stoned to death but it was for the greater good of us. So not always do the, do the circumstances change. God is at work bringing about the needed change. The needed change that is working all things together for good, not just for our current situations. We don't always get what we want, but we get what we need. We don't always get what we want, but we get what we need. You and I, are we willing to trust God in the trials of life? 
respond with patience when the trials come. Let it do what it's supposed to do. And then in verse five, we see that we are to respond with trials by asking God for wisdom. Don't ask why me or why now. We ask God for wisdom. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. So he wants us to ask God for wisdom. Not why me, not why now, but ask God for wisdom. As I said earlier, sometimes we try to take matters into our own hands. If you want to take matters into your own hands, then what you need to do is you need to get into God's word. You need to cry out to him and ask him for wisdom. And then you need to allow him to answer as you seek it out, the wisdom in his word. So don't ask why me, why now? Ask God for wisdom. What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to be changed? And he'll give it to you generously and without reproach. So how do we respond in, in trials? We're to count it all joy. We're to count it all joy in various trials. We're to allow the trial to do what it's supposed to do. We're to be patient. We're to ask God for wisdom when the trials come. And that's what it says if you go back to verse two. He says, count it all joy my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We're to count it all joy, not joy because of the trial, not joy after the trial is over, but joy in the trial. Joy comes from our relationship with God, not based on our circumstances. Not based on our circumstances, but joy comes from the Lord. Paul writes the letter of Philippians, and he writes all about joy. And you know where, where Paul is whenever he writes that letter? He's in prison. And he's not griping and complaining about what circumstances he's in. He understands his purpose, and his purpose is to make disciples. His purpose is to evangelize the unbelievers. And so what does he do as he's chained to a Roman soldier? He tells him that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus Christ is the one who died and rose again. Jesus Christ is the one who offers eternal life to anyone who will simply believe in him for what he is offering, eternal life. Or what about Paul and Silas in Acts 16? They were there. They had been beaten with rods, thrown into prison, and they were fastened with their feet in stocks. But in verse 25, what do we see them doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and prisoners were listening to them, and the guards were listening to them. You see, whenever we respond in joy in the trials of life, the world sees us as different, and they look at our lives, and they say, what is it that you have? How can I have what you have? And the answer we give them is the same answer that Paul and Silas gave to the, to the prison guard. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So we've seen our first response is to be joy. Not only were there people watching Paul and Silas in their trials, but there are people who are watching us. So let's respond to the trials in joy. In verses three and four, we see that we that our testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are to let the trials do what they are supposed to do. We are to let the trials do what they're supposed to do. And then finally in verse five, we are to ask God for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously. So don't ask why me, why now? 
but ask God, what do you want me to learn? How do you want me to be changed through the trial? So how do we respond when the trials come? We are to count it all joy. We are to be patient in the trials and we are to ask God for wisdom. So count it all joy so that others can see our lives and see that we are different from the world. We're to be patient when the trials come so that the trials can do whatever they're supposed to do, whether it means changing the circumstances or changing us to be like Christ. And then finally, ask God for wisdom. But look on with me. Whenever we ask God for wisdom, how are we to do it? He says, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Many times we go to God and we ask him for wisdom. We ask him for things in this life. And we don't trust him to answer. You think about Acts chapter 12 when Peter's in prison, and what's the church doing? They're gathered together, and they're praying for Peter's release. And what happens? Peter is released. He he goes and he knocks on the door, and the servant girl goes and, and says, Peter's at the door, and they say, no, that can't be Peter. Remember, Peter's in prison. No, he's been released. What have you been praying for? Ask God in faith. Ask in faith. Faith is the key in everything. It is by faith that we have been saved. It is by faith that we are to live the Christian life, and it is only by faith that we can persevere in the trials that this life has. Think about this. What did Jesus say many times over while he was here on this earth? As he was getting ready to perform a miracle, what did he say? He said, your faith has made you well. One of those times, there was a man named Bartimaeus, and he was on the road that Jesus was going down. And you know what he was doing? He was crying out, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David. And Jesus goes and calls him to himself. And he said, what can I do for you? He said, I want to regain my sight. And you know what Jesus said to him? Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. But listen to what, the next, what that verse goes on to say. He says, he began following him and glorifying God. That's what God wants sometimes. He allows us to go through trials so that we will follow him, so that we'll be close to him, so that we'll walk step by step with him. You know, some of us say, well, you know me, I'm in fellowship with God. I come to church about every other Sunday. Or I come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. I'm as close to God as I can get. He doesn't just want us on a weekly visit. He wants us day by day, step by step, following him. And so sometimes in order to get us as close to him as he desires for us to be, he allows us to go through trials. He says, your faith has made you well. Do we have the faith to trust God to take us through the trials that he's taking us through? But also remember this, not always do the circumstances change. The circumstance did not change for Jesus. When he was in that garden and he was praying, and as Adam described this morning, he was praying so deeply, so fervently, that his sweat turned to blood. You think he wasn't asking in faith, God, let this cup pass from me? But then what does he say? Not your will be done. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. See, sometimes we go through trials in life and it's not all about us. 
It's not always about being happy in this world. Being a Christian isn't always about being happy. Sometimes we go through trials so that we can help others around us or so God can change us and make us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And one final thing I want you to think about as well is trials are not given to us to go through alone. Trials are not given to us to go through alone. We have to let people of faith know what is going on in our lives. That's why the grow groups that we have here are so vital. Because we get in a smaller group of people. And a lot of times in that smaller group of people, we get two or three people that we become really close to. People that we can tell them what we're struggling with in our lives. What sins we're struggling with in our lives. What trials we're going through in our lives. And those people can help lift us up. You know, I think about the paralytic. What happened to him? He couldn't get to Jesus, so what did he do? There were some friends who lifted him up. They lifted him up on his bed and they took him to Jesus, but they couldn't get in the door. So they lifted him up even higher onto the roof and they laid him in front of Jesus. And you know what it says in that passage? Jesus says there, not your faith has made you well, but their faith has made you well. Your sins are forgiven. Their faith has made you well. Not just, that guy did not just get up and walk out of that trial after it was over on his faith alone, but it was the help of other Christians, other believers who were around him, who helped lift him up, lift him up in prayer, lift him up physically, lift him up in encouragement. And so we've got to let others know what's going on in our lives so that they can lift us up, so that they can bring our things to the Lord, our problems, our trials, our struggles. So we must ask in faith without any doubting, and that takes us back to the song that Rachel sang for us this morning. Listen as I read some of these words. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger, when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. We have the written word of God. And in the written word of God, he tells us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He tells us that he's working all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He has a purpose. He has a reason for us to go through trials. Sometimes that reason is to make us more like Christ. You know Romans 8.29, that comes right after 8.28. Romans 8.29 tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so he works not all things are good, but he works all things together for good with the outcome that will be conformed to the image of his image of Christ. And so we've got to trust his word. We've got to trust his promises. This is not our home. We've got our home waiting for us. It's a home in heaven, an inheritance that we have, and an eternal life, an eternal time together with Jesus Christ. And all the while, he hears each desperate plea and longs that we'd have faith to believe. 
He wants us to have faith to believe. He wants us to trust him in the trial of life. He wants us to cry out for him in wisdom. And when we do, he is there listening and already at work, bringing about the needed change, whether it be a circumstantial change or just a change in us. So what have we seen this morning? We have seen that when trials come, we're to respond in joy, being patient, asking God for wisdom. What do you want me to learn from this trial? How do you want me to be changed? We're to trust him to bring us through a more mature and complete Christian, someone who is closer to God and someone who is more like his son, Jesus Christ. So let's think about some applications. Number one is let's be prepared for the trials in life because he doesn't say if, but he says when the trials come. So we have to be ready. And when the trials come, what are we... Why are they here? They are here so that we will trust God. You know, many of those other reasons I gave are for this or that. But the two reasons that are given in this, God wants from us at all times. He always wants us to trust Him in the trials of life, in everyday life, in everything that we do. And then also, He wants us to grow spiritually. And so sometimes we go through trials just so we can grow spiritually, so that we can grow and be more like his son, Jesus Christ. But when the trials come, how do we respond? We respond with joy in the trial. We count it all joy, not because we're in the trial, not after the trial's over, but in the trial. Because the things, the circumstances of this world is not what we're here for. It's not what it's about. We have a home in heaven that is waiting for us. And so we have joy in the trial. When we have joy in the trial, you know, there's other people who are watching us. And they see how we respond. And when we respond different than they do, different than the world does, they may reach out and ask us, what must I do to be saved? So we've got to respond in joy. We have to respond with patience. Let the trial do what it's intended to do. Whether it's changing the circumstances or just changing us. And then finally... We need to ask God for wisdom. God, what is it that you want me to learn? What is it that you need me to know? You know, the trial that Rachel and I went through, it was not easy. It was not without crying out in anger. It was not without, without suffering. But it also was not without joy. We found joy and peace in Jesus Christ. We found joy in our church family, in people who were lifting us up in prayer people who were encouraging us along the way. It wasn't without patience as it took six years to get our daughter here. And so we had to have a lot of patience as we went through that trial in our life. And it wasn't without asking God for wisdom and seeking it out in his word. In the end, God not only blessed us in our circumstances by giving us a beautiful and a healthy daughter, but he also changed us through the trial. We realized that, you know, it wasn't something that we could do on our own. It wasn't just going to doctors that was going to to make this thing happen. But God, in his grace and his love and his mercy, did what the doctor said, your chances are slim to none. You see, what we see as trials, God sees as part of his greater plan. He is working all things together for good. So let's trust him in the trials of life.